0: is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.03 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 8th of February. God, it's the 8th already. God, 2021. 2021. This is episode 362 of Bitcoin and my desk is clean, babies. Yeah, I pulled my my workstation out and did some cable management and all like cleaned up everything. Oh my god, dude, the cables uh, of my computer with all the periphery, you know, peripherals that I got, it was just it got so out of hand that I was trying to get a uh, a webcam off the uh, that had fallen on onto the floor up from behind my desk and turned off my monitors because I hit the switch on the power strip and I'm like, "Okay, dude, that's just irresponsible." <laughs> so, it took me the better part of like 2 hours to pull everything apart, clean everything up, and get all the cables to where they actually look like, you know, something decent. I didn't spend the time on it like <clears throat> if you go in a Google cable manage or computer cable management art, you will be amazed at how beautiful some of these things uh, like massive server farm cable management can actually be. I mean, it's a thing of beauty. Mine doesn't look like that, but at least if I pick something up off the floor, I won't shut my computer down from hitting a freaking switch, man. I, love of God. Again, this just irresponsible. All right. Where are we at today? <clears throat> Chicanery. Chicanery everywhere, usually in the form of a nice furry four-legged creature. We'll get to all that and some other things, but first we're going to start with a guy named Jack Mac Gill uh, Gillian Gillian. Sorry, can't you know? Not not doing it well. Anyway, he uh, is writing for Bitcoin Magazine and says Bitcoin a hedge against the dystopian present, not future. The present. If you think that we're living in a dy- in a, a an area where we could enter into a dystopian future, you're wrong. We're already here. In a recent interview with Bloomberg, when asked about the potential of Bitcoin, Kenneth Rogoff, an economist and a Harvard f- uh, faculty member, conceded that the cryptocurrency has a future, but only if the future is dystopian in nature. <clears throat> but what if the dystopian future is already here? Without wishing to engage in linguistic inflation, let us start off by defining the term dystopia. A dystopia is simply a community or society that is undesirable or frightening. One needn't be living in a Mad Max nightmare to find modern-day existence both undesirable and frightening, unlike utopias, which are both idealistic and unattainable. Dystopias are both brutal and entirely attainable, from Resident Evil to Robocop. Truly dystopian societies are violent, often brutally so. However, one needn't escape into the world of fiction to find volatile societies, with rates of violence reaching dangerous new highs in major cities like New York and Ontario, for example. Acts of brutality are alarmingly common. As Cormac McCarthy's magnum opus taught us, dystopian societies are also mired in poverty. Considering that 45% of Americans have absolutely nothing in savings, it's safe to say that daily existence is a dystopia for a sizable portion of the United States. In the United Kingdom, things aren't much better, with 1 in 10 people having no access to savings. When it comes to emotions, despair is very much the flavor of the month. For millions around the world without access to savings, the threat of homelessness is never far away. From Catalonia to Caracas, that threat is very much a reality. Meanwhile, governments across the world are drowning in a sea of debt. Last year, we saw global debt hit new historic highs. Expect new historic highs to be reached again this year. How do governments continue to finance their debt? Well, by printing money, of course. Meanwhile, unemployment rates are dangerously high. Economic con- e- <laughs> economies continue to shrink and suicide rates continue to rise. Jesus, this is really great for a Monday. Sorry, guys. Former Prime Minister Gordon Brown thinks that the UK is close to becoming a failed state. Is this dystopian enough for you, Professor Rogoff? In his 2004 book, In Praise of Empires, Deepak Lal wrote, quote, Empires have been natural throughout <clears throat> human history. Most people have lived in empires. Empires and the process of globalization associated with them have provided the order necessary for social and economic life to flourish. By linking previously autarkic states into a common economic space, empires have promoted the mutual gains from trade abumberated by Adam Smith. Wow. (laughs) Adumberated. Okay. Therefore, despite their current bad name, empires have promoted peace and prosperity, end quote. When examining the American system, one should ask, for whom does it ensure prosperity? Oh, that's a good question. <clears throat> in, quote, The Sleeper Awakes book, one of the greatest dystopian novels of the 19th century, H.G. Wells depicted the governing class as decadent in the extreme, superficial, callous, and devoid of any compunction, Over 120 years later, in the age of corporate socialism and Cantillian principles, little has changed. Noam Chomsky once wrote, for the powerful, crimes are those that others commit. In California, for example, it's perfectly fine for the governor governor to ignore lockdown regulations. If someone in a less powerful position behaves in a similar manner, however, they end up losing their ability to make a living. Estonia has taught us that the best governments are the ones that govern the least in dystopias, though uh, governments hold a vice-like grip over society. Language is weaponized. Newspeak reigns supreme. Terms like stakeholder capitalism actually means economic fascism. Technological control is another theme of dystopias, where the rulers of society control the masses in both the most implicit and explicit of ways— Bentham's Panopticon is a global one. Privacy is no longer an option. Yeah, Bentham's Panopticon. That's If you don't know what that is, it's, it is the blueprint for the modern prison. And I mean that the, an actual prison where you get like convicted of a federal crime and you go to the quote-unquote big house. Especially the Supermax's uh, prisons are designed after Bentham's blueprints of what's called the Panopticon. As Julian Assange and Edward Snowden have shown the world, if you expose this very fact, you are deemed a dangerous actor. This is the age of phone tapping and indiscriminate sharing of data, a dystopian age ruled by men named Dorsey and Zuckerberg. Should we be worried? (laughs) Considering Facebook supposedly feeds users private messages to the FBI, I think so. From 1984 to Black Mirror, dystopian offerings are known for darkness, both thematically and visually. Ever since the abolishment of the gold standard some 50 years ago, the shadows of inflation, fiduciary negligence, and technocratic governance has dimmed the lights on democracy. If Bitcoin is a technology that is only viable in dystopian times, then, dear readers, that time is now. Okay, yeah, a little dark to start off the week, but this is all true. I mean, it's like, you know, if you just want to escape the truth, hey, man, be my guest. Shut, shut this shit down because... <laughs> This is these are the things that I read. You know, these are the things that I read for you, so you don't you know have to wreck your car trying to read them yourself. You can just listen to me read them for you. And yes, it's dark. We are living in a dystopia. There is no dystopic future. (laughs) It's we know it's right now. We know it. You know it in your bones, dude. What are you gonna do about it? I mean, and it's not you know in my opinion. It ain't just buying Bitcoin. Just buying Bitcoin does not fix this. I mean, that's a, uh, probably going to be an unpopular opinion, but there's more to be done than this. Get out of the cities. Get as far away from the cities as you possibly can because the cities are turning into a panopticon. Just like the Supermax prison. Hey, man. Say hello to Minneapolis, St. Paul, Dallas, Dallas. Probably not Fort Worth. They're pretty cool in Fort Worth, but Houston, L.A., New York City, Chicago, Detroit. You know, take your pick, dude. Seattle. You know, I'm not even going to name any of the cities in Canada because that entire nation up there from, you know, end to end is just turning into a complete dumpster fire. And it's just sad because Canadians, generally speaking, are some of the most polite people I've ever met in my entire life. Kind of like Mormons. They're just nice, but not anymore. You put the squeeze on enough people for a, a long enough period of time, and, and you will find the animalistic nature in all of us. Okay? This shit's got to stop. And again, it doesn't stop with just buying Bitcoin. It doesn't stop with just opting out of the financial system. You have to opt out of their view. Okay? you. I mean, literally, it's like not being seen. Or at least being so far away that is if you are seen, they literally have to do a risk reward value or, or calculation as to whether or not they're going to come stop you because it's kind of hard to find if you're doing it right. You're kind of hard to find just saying. Okay. So now speaking of how to, you know, getting out of this mess. Okay. We've got this one from Yuri de Now this was actually back in uh, like the beginning of last year, February eight, or yeah, sorry the beginning of last year, uh, December 17th, 2020, okay? Or the end of, rather the end of last year, sorry, not the beginning, the end of last year. So it's a bit old, but uh, I missed it. And it goes hand in hand with getting out of this bullshit. It's Bitcoin and Generational Wealth by Yuri Degaya. And he wrote this originally December 17th, 2020. It's being republished by BTC Times. Uh, February 8th, 2021. That would be today. Uh, quote, the only question with wealth is, what do you do with it? John D. Rockefeller. The topic of wealth preservation has never been more relevant than it is is today. With the global economy being decimated for reasons known and unknown, it remains to be seen how families around the world will cope with the fact that their fortunes, often hard-earned across generations, may soon vanish is there a way to prevent this from happening? The state of the world economy is clear to the attentive observer. Sovereign debt is through the roof. The printing press is operating at capacities never seen before. Illiquid, ca- or illiquid assets such as real estate are in trouble, and liquid assets like stocks are being artificially inflated with easy money. Meanwhile, restaurant owners are struggling to keep their businesses alive. The idea of cash is trash is no longer a catchphrase popularized by Ray Dalio, but a reality faced by every single individual, family offices, fund managers, endowments, and pension funds. Whether the easy money flows into stocks, bonds, private equity, real estate, art, or Bitcoin, everybody is looking for the ultimate store of value. (laughs) Besides the political response to the spread of the Rona has been truly blown out of proportion, to put it mildly. The severity of the impact on every country's economic performance cannot be overstated. Combined with the fact that outright socialist moods and ideas are propagated throughout the Western world, the question arises whether any of this is coincidental at all. Will these, will these become a threat to a family's hard-earned wealth? It is our belief that we must <clears throat> remain optimistic about the future. Blind optimism, however never served anyone well worst case scenarios may become reality and it would be prudent to be prepared for them when it comes to wealth preservation what can families do to keep their fortune intact so that it can be passed on to future generations throughout history the institute of family has played a major role in establishing lasting civilizations atomic individualism was rarely considered positive while tribalism in a good sense of the word, was the preferred method of living together. Having a band of people who share values, rights, and traditions provided a sense of belonging and responsibility. Society scaled down to its nucleus necessarily leads to families which act like a cell in an organism. Families then unite as villages, villages into towns, towns grow into cities, and cities create alliances to form whole countries. Thinking from first principles, it is quite logical to want to protect the most important building block of the body of our society. There is an unproclaimed war on the institute of nuclear family. If it is lost, our whole civilization dies. It is thus imperative that wealthy individuals focus their attention on what matters most, kin, that's K-I-N. When one... Once to secure the wealth accumulated through a lifetime of hard work, They, <clears throat> there must be willingness to shape the immediate environment so that it becomes conducive to long-term fortune preservation. The most important part of such an undertaking is establishing a strong, loyal family. For when the time comes, there is no better person to take care of a family estate than an actual heir. An heir, educated about the family business, the importance of long-term thinking, and the lasting power of close familial ties, a successor to the empire of their parents who will, in due time, pass the reins to their children, and so on and so forth. A child's mind is the perfect material to mold to your liking. Whatever it absorbs at a young age will likely affect its whole life. Therefore, if you plan on bringing up a new generation that is loyal to your family rather than to the apparatus of the state, it would be wise to supplant your children's education with private instruction or withdraw from public schools altogether. At the end of the day... The future, is your wealth, uh, the future of your wealth is in the hands of your offspring. When it comes to preserving and growing fortunes, the odds are in your favor if your heirs are instructed by you. Traditionally, when it comes to wealth management, families have focused on growing their fortunes. When passing his fortune on to their heirs, the head of the estate usually expected them to continue building the family empire. What could be worse than having soiled, <clears throat> spoiled squanderers for children? But today, things are different. Simply preserving one's wealth is becoming problematic. The future is so unpredictable that even the most popular types of assets are far from a guarantee against financial and geopolitical threats. The problem is that traditional assets like stocks, bonds, real estate, and commodities are all correlated and built upon the same financial system. So is there a way out? Our prospects would be a lot darker today if we didn't have certain tools at our disposal, the most important of which is Bitcoin. What could be better at instilling long-term thinking than a currency designed to store wealth and preserve its value perpetually? Quote, Satoshi Nakamoto's decision to put a hard cap, $21 million in total, on the issuance of new coins was, perhaps, the most important act of this century. It led to the creation of the soundest money humanity has ever known. End quote. Coupled with censorship resistance, a property that makes Bitcoin virtually unconfiscatable, we now have a way to preserve wealth across generations. It is, therefore, our conviction that any family inheritance plan must include Bitcoin as a hedge against the uncertainties of the world and ever-inflating fiat currencies. Bitcoin is the remedy of to the printing press operated by ambitious individuals who think they can exchange money created out of thin air into real assets until the whole planet belongs to them. By storing value in a first-of-its-kind digital currency secured by pure math, an incorruptible force of nature because that's important to note it is secured by mathematics and it is an incorruptible force of nature two plus two equals four as far away in the universe as you can get in every single direction okay so just keep that in mind we're talking about math you and the idiots that are saying two plus two equals four is racist dude just forget that they exist. Okay, because eventually everybody will forget that they exist. Continuing on, um, by storing value in a first-of-its-kind digital currency, you deny them access to the fruits of your labor and ensure that your heirs will have a better chance at safeguarding as well as growing the family fortune. This is why today's most prudent parents fill the gap in public education by instructing their next generation on how money actually works, followed by an introduction to the best money of all, Bitcoin, Can they be blamed for wanting to secure their children's future? Hardly so. Generational wealth and Bitcoin go hand in hand. A future heir must acquire a lot of theoretical knowledge to be prepared for the life ahead. But it is practice that makes one truly educated. What better practice is there than being your own bank in a world in which autonomy and self-reliance are no longer commended? We believe that, in the decades to come, individual sovereignty may become a luxury. There will not be a lot of ways to claim it. Bitcoin is likely to become a tool that allows you to keep what is truly yours. Perhaps it will be the only one. And if so, can your family afford to ignore this asset any longer? No, 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 you can't. It's irresponsible at this point. You got billionaires all over the world trying to figure out how to get into this to the point that they sign up for a freaking seminar. That's online from Michael Saylor, who's basically just said, "I'm going to give you my playbook for free. This is how we did it. You know this is this is how we're going to continue to do it. This is what this is the system that we've refined. And here's all the legal accounting and you know other ramifications that go along with it. Probably how do you break the news to your shareholders that you're going to get into Bitcoin? Because he had to do it, although apparently his his shareholders were were just fine with it. But in either event, we're in. We live in dystopic times. Okay, that's clear. Okay, it's not a future. That's clear. We have a situation where. How do you pass on general generational wealth, especially in a situation where, like, what if they increase the uh, death well death tax? I don't want to put it the um, inheritance tax. So I pass on like let's say I got a hundred grand or something like that by the time I die, which would be you know sad. But I'm just saying I'm just using it as a number. I got a hundred grand and pass it on to my kids and they only get $10,000 of it because the inheritance tax is 90%. Well, there's nothing you can do about that because if you kept your money in the bank, the bank is basically regulated by the United States government and there's no way you're getting that money out because it's not really your money, is it? They just take what they want, which means that it's just not your money. Not until they take, It's not your money until they take out what they want, which means it's, at that point, it's just not your money. Bitcoin can be your money. It depends on where you keep it. If you're keeping it in, you know, God forbid, grayscale, then it's not your money. If you're keeping it on Coinbase, it's not your money. And the same shit will eventually apply. If you're keeping your Bitcoin on a custodial exchange and you want to take it out of the custodial exchange and there's a 90% tax on that, you can't do shit about it. That's why it's so important to, if you own any Bitcoin at all, it's important that you run your own node, get it out. Get it off an exchange. That doesn't, and, and even then, it doesn't mean that it's one hundred percent safe. You, you know, you got to do other things, okay. And this space is filled with people who will tell you how to do that, okay. So just let's be clear. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about some meme meme coinage. Global market cap passes one point two trillion dollars as Doge breaks back into the top ten. Okay. I don't know if they're going to say this in the uh, in the article that I'm about to read, so I'm just going to go ahead and and, and give uh, Roger Ver the bad news. As of today, Dogecoin surpassed Bitcoin Cash's market cap pretty much by a billion dollars, <laughs> a whole billion. Uh, Bitcoin Cash's market cap is at 8.4 billion. Dogecoin hit 9.5 billion dollars. Is this good? Hell no. Not because Bitcoin Cash, that shit's not good either. But I mean, Dogecoin is a meme coin, and you don't want to. I don't care if Gene Simmons is talking about it or Elon Musk. None of these people should have anything to say about what the strength of any currency is, whether it's digital, you know, traditional. It doesn't matter. Stop listening to these people, okay? Uh, Matt Husey is going to tell us a little bit more about it from Decrypt.co. The weekend saw crypto's global market cap continue to surge to new highs as a raft of new investors and investment tools gear up to start offering more ways of dabbling in digital money. In just three days, markets added $500 million to their coffers to a total market cap of $1.23 trillion. That's with a T, dollars, according to data company Nomics. The overwhelming majority of that growth came from Bitcoin, which flirted with $40,000 before pulling back to thirty-eight <clears> thousands. At the time of writing, Bitcoin is down 2% over the last 24 hours, but is still within touching distance of January 8th's all-time high of $40,771. Sorry, $40,771. Side note, different exchanges will have recorded different prices, and therefore, different reporters report different numbers, but the overall trend is Bitcoin go up. Uh, This week could bring increased volatility to ETH's prices as the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is due to launch its ETH futures contracts. Yeah, who gives a shit? Well, actually, we are going to give a shit because there's a different story about that. Um, But there is something to to be said about the the whole uh, listing for the first time on a futures. Because for reference, when the CME first launched launched its Bitcoin futures contract on 2017, Bitcoin surged to record highs. But speaking of Bitcoin futures, the amount locked in uh, contracts betting on the future price of Bitcoin hit a record high of $14 billion over the weekend. However, with Chinese New Year fast approaching, many are expecting increased price fluctuations as Chinese citizens have traditionally sold their Bitcoin holdings around this time, leading to a drop in price. But there are projects that seem impervious to china's festive celebrations dogecoin's roller coaster ride continued across the weekend as more celebrities dived in or dived in to pump the coin to their sizable followings joining the likes of elon musk and former kiss frontman gene simmons was god forbid snoop dogg the rapper photoshopped one of his album covers to include the shiba inu mascot which was followed by Elon Musk photoshopping himself, Snoop Dogg, and Gene into an image from The Lion King. Oh, Jesus, It's just a whole bunch of people looking at each other's ass. Uh, it's just sad, dude. This flurry of activity has pushed Doge's market cap into the top 10. As it recorded an 18% gain in the last 24 hours and a 73% surge in trading volume. The project's market cap is now hovering around $10, or sorry, $10, $10 billion. But if the past few weeks are anything to go by, it's unlikely to last. While the markets were closed for the weekend, Dow Jones, S&P, and NASDAQ futures all surged on the news that Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus package had passed the final hurdle in the House. It's due to become legislation later this month fueling bullish market sentiment around the recovery of the United States economy. The recovery. Ah! Jesus these people oh my God okay so here's the thing about Doge that a lot of people don't know and it, and the reason that most people don't know is that generally speaking bitcoiners don't talk about Doge I'm literally the only one that that I don't care it's just that I find it I find it amusing so therefore every once in a while I talk about it but it's also, you know, under the radar that nobody knows what the market cap is, or I mean, the, uh, the uh, cap on, on how much Dogecoin can be produced. I mean, I, I've heard anywhere between, you know, 10,000 Doge a day is being minted. I don't even know who the hell is mining it, honestly. It, but it's coming into existence. There, there's like 168 billion Dogecoin out there. Not million, billion with a B. I've also heard everything I've also heard other numbers say, like, f- as much as 14 million Dogecoin are being minted daily. Hell, I don't know. Nobody really does. I mean, I, because we kind of don't care enough about it to look. But it seem, what seems clear is that there's a shit ton of Doge out there, and at seven cents, which is sitting where it is right now, it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. If you are one of the people that are buying in, to the narrative that Dogecoin is cool. And even Peter, oh God, not Peter McCormick, um, Schiff, even Shifty. Dude, Shifty's talking about Doge as being a Bitcoin killer because he doesn't understand what the hell's going on. We are seemingly right back in the beginning of 20, you know, end of uh, the back half of 2016 and coming into 2017 with all the ridiculous ICOs, except this time, they're not even trying. They're just recycling shit that's already here. Be very careful. It's only Bitcoin. It's the, That's the only thing that makes sense. Check it though. I mean, we got, you know, if you you, de, you defy logic at your own risk and DeFi here being spelled D-E-F-I, DMG price crashes 90% as DMM protocol ceases operations. George Jorviev is writing this for CryptoPotato.com sometime on the 6th of February. In an unfortunate turn of events, for supporters of the DeFi Money Market Foundation, the DMM token plummeted in value as the team behind it revealed that they ceased all operations due to regulatory concerns. The DeFi Money Market used to be a loan platform and it received some serious attention within the cryptocurrency community. One of the reasons, it was a hot DeFi project backed by serious names, including Draper Gorenholm, Holm, whoever the hell that is. A part, Oh, a partnership between Tim Draper... Alan Gorin and Yosef Holm focused on investing in blockchain solutions. Jesus, Tim. You should know better. Unfortunately, supporters of the project received the bad news today as the team behind DMM announced an immediate halt of operations. "Quote: As a result of regulatory inquiries, DMM is shutting it down. Oh, God. Effective immediately, M token minting is no longer available. M token redemption will remain available indefinitely, though the interest rate on M tokens will drop to 0% on or about February the 10th, 2021. That's 2 days from now. Capital and interest are currently available to fund redemption of all outstanding M tokens plus accrued interest. Read the official uh, as reads the official website. All right. Nevertheless, the community has taken a blaze as many have lost massive chunks of value because of what happened to the price of the protocol's governance token, DMG. The price of DMM's governance token, DMG, crashed 90% in an hour. Jesus. It went from above 50 cents to around 5 cents. The markets are still open, so there's a slight recovery, but it definitely doesn't look good for people who fail to dispose of their tokens in time. You will never time the top because you don't know what comes next. Commenting on the matter was popular swing and scalp trader Dev Chart. He says, this is a true definition of messed up. They literally pumped it, pushing a lot of people to jump on trades and then dumped and then announced that they were going out of business. And he's got a chart that just basically shows your classic pump and dump. FTX, one of the exchanges where DMG was trading with leverage, also shed some light on the events. Uh, quote, sad to see what happened to, with DMG today. We'll keep DMG market open. Might as well let people trade out if they want. Leverage will probably be reined in quite a bit. We don't know any nefarious things that happened, but we'll investigate given the unusual price pattern. So if you were into DMG and DeFi, you got rug pulled yet one more time. And this time they just, they just blamed, oh, well, we got asked a question by a regulator, so we uh, bailed with all your money, by the way. Still want to get into DeFi? You still championing this shit? Because this happens every week, every single week. All right, so a little bit about the Ethereum and the CME uh, futures. Ethereum crashes 10% a day before institutions can short it on CME, says Eric Jink, or Ekin Jink from Decrypt.co. So let's see what's going on here. Even though it is a shit coin, it will probably affect things. The price of ETH has crashed by 10% in a sudden market downturn. As of this writing, the price of ETH is $1,513. The downtrend started at 1.14 p.m. when Ethereum was worth $1,626. Then the market began to tank. It hasn't yet recovered. It actually, uh, By now, it actually has. It's back up to $1,658, just so you know. Okay? But this is what this is. What's going on here is that the CME is launching their Ethereum futures, and here's what happened to Bitcoin. If here's some history about Bitcoin in the CME futures market. CME launched Bitcoin futures on December the seventeenth, twenty seventeen. Okay, the day after Bitcoin hit its highest price for that particular bull run, which was nineteen thousand and fifteen dollars. Thereafter, Bitcoin's price trundled downhill. Marking the end of the bull run. That said, 2021's crypto market doesn't look a lot like 2017. Gone are the days of scammy ICOs. And in parentheses, they say we hope, but yeah, hope hope springs eternal, and you can smoke hopium all day long if you want. But yeah, we're going to be dealing with this shit for a while. Quote: A retest of 1550 was always going to happen with or without uh, CME. Ethereum's crash coincides with overall market slide, blah, 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 yeah, yeah. This is, okay, so it'll be interesting to see if Ethereum goes through by itself without Bitcoin in tow, or actually, well, Bitcoin's never been in tow, without Bitcoin being part of it. Um, It'll be interesting to see what Ethereum does all by itself, floating out there on the ocean, right? Because that we had to do it. We had to do it with CME. You know, they listed on the 17th. A few days later, we hit like an all-time high. And then, boom, it's just off to the races on the downhill side because now there's shorts against it. But the fact of the matter is, is that Bitcoin allows all the rest of the shit coins to either go up or go down, okay? Number go up technology with Bitcoin basically governs the entire field, whether it's Ethereum all the way down to Doge, Right. Only Bitcoin can make the decision as to whether something pumps or not. If Bitcoin goes down, guarantee, I mean, if it goes down by like over a certain amount of percent in a day, everything is in the red. If it goes up, everything is in the green. This this one is going to be interesting simply because ETH is on its own. For the first time, ETH is decoupled from Bitcoin, at least insofar as it is now entered into this. Market that it had never seen before. For the first time, people are going to be able to short it. I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. But Bill Miller plans to drop another four hundred million dollars on Bitcoin. Except he's going to do it via Grayscale. Good lord. Coin Telegraph's Osato Aven Namayo is going. Uh, no Mayo is going to uh, tell us about it. Hedge fund legend Bill Miller is exhibiting an even larger appetite for uh, Bitcoin. According to a Friday filing with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, the Miller Opportunity Trust is seeking indirect exposure to BTC via the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. The planned investment is coming at a time when the GBTC premium is at its lowest level since April of 2019. If the GBTC shares acquisition does pull through, it will mark a significant departure from the usual investments in equities and derivatives of the two point two five billion dollar fund. Indeed, the trust website lists airlines, healthcare, and financials among its core investment position focus. God, airlines? <sighs> Ooh, God, that would scare the piss out of me right now. With the funds Bitcoin exposure limited to 15% of its assets under management, the GBTC outlay could top $300 million. As part of the filing, the trust did comment on price volatility, stating there is a relatively small use of Bitcoin in the retail and commercial marketplace in comparison to the relatively large use of Bitcoin by speculators. Miller himself, a noted Bitcoin proponent, uh, or he is a Bitcoin proponent. Back in 2016, the legendary Wall Street investor committed 30% of his hedge fund into Bitcoin. This proportion has since increased to over 50% with the BTC play contributing to massive growth in the value of Miller's hedge fund. (laughs) They all learn eventually. Back in January, Miller countered Warren Buffett's infamous rat poison retort, By adding that cash was the rat in this instance. The comments echoed sentiments espoused by Pantera uh, Capital CEO Dan Moorhead back in 2018, who said something akin to Bitcoin is rat poison because banks are the rats. Bitcoin recently rallied to $40,000. Okay, there's like, they always end with the price action paragraph. We don't need that. We're going to do the numbers right now. CNBC futures and commodities god it looks like everything is up. I guess everybody's happy about printing 2 trillion more dollars which is never going to that's ne- was never going to be the end of it by the way just so you know. Oil, West Texas intermediate up over a point to $57.50. Brent North Sea is up over a point. It's going to come in at $60.04. Natural gas swinging high by 3.35%. It's coming in at damn near 3 bucks for 1,000 cubic feet. All the metals are up, so if you like shiny metal rocks, you're doing good, I guess. Well, okay, you know, you know what I mean. Gold is up 0.39% of a percent, $1,820. Silver is up 065 It's going to come in at $27. Platinum is up 3%. Wow uh 1667 looks like the platinum plays like doing really well here cuz like I remember it wasn't too long ago that platinum was like 870 bucks and I mean by not long ago I mean by weeks okay copper is up a quarter palladium is up almost a point uh indices we have uh, Dow futures is up 0.43 of a point S&P futures up 0.3 Nasdaq up 0.24 and the S&P mini is up 0.46 Real money time, $39,473.46. Is that my low? Hell no. We got we got some wild arbitrage uh, potential here. Hit BTC has a low of $39,236. Wow, I have not seen that wide of a swing in a while. So the uh, $39,473 is my high on the price but only like just below 300,000 transactions were performed over the weekend or over the last 24 hours. Uh, that's God, that's only 12,463 transactions on average, every hour, uh, 412,979 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours. That's 16, what? Good Lord. That's $16 billion. Uh, 17,207 BTC are being sent every hour on average, and the average transaction value is 1.38 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.016 BTC. Block times are low, 9 minutes, 0 seconds, 0.53 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 85.3 BTC being taken in fees over the last 24 hours. Good mercy. After a 3% bump to the upside in hash rate, we have 172.4 exahashes per second. That's got to be an all-time high, dude. Okay, as promised, Dogecoin is still holding at 7.4 pennies or cents US. I don't know. Like, I haven't actually... It's it's hard to actually say 7 cents because it's been so long since I've actually had to calculate shit in cents that... You know, I kind of, it it doesn't, saying the word sense doesn't make any sense. Why? Because we've destroyed the money. There used to be a time when if you had a, like a couple of pennies or a dime, when I was like a kid, I was buying like a piece of gum for two cents. Not shitting you, man. Double bubble too. And super bubble. Like a piece of it was like two cents. You get like a, a whole piece of bubble gum for two pennies. People actually took pennies for goods and services, it's amazing, isn't it? It's just absolutely amazing. All right, so what did Dogecoin do in transactions? It did only, well, it did 63,000, which is essentially double what it does on its daily transactions. And if you don't remember, it has surpassed Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum Classic, and BSV in market capitalization. That's how stupid this run for Dogecoin actually is. Now, Clark Moody, is saying that there's 41,000 transactions that are going to have to onboard 80 blocks to clear. We have a market capitalization in Bitcoin of seven, uh, God, $740.6 billion, which is 6.28% of gold's entire market cap. At this point, Bitcoin, one Bitcoin will get you 21.8 ounces of gold, and there are exactly 18,623,000, And 6.48 BTC in circulation at this time at a price that Clark Moody swears is $39,770 a piece. We have 1,081.81 BTC in the Lightning Network. That's $43 million of capacity being run over 8,819 nodes representing 38,054 channels. A bump in the Tor capacity of the Lightning Network, we are now at 53.1%, and that is being run over 3,377 nodes with a capacity of 573.91 Bitcoin. Wow. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Turner Wright starts us out with uh, this piece by Cointelegraph. Billionaires pushing crypto. Mexico's third richest person changes Twitter bio to include Bitcoin. (laughs) Uh, This was uh, sometime yesterday. Ricardo Salinas Pliego Chairman at conglomerate Grupo Salinas and Mexico's third richest person is plugging Bitcoin on social media. The billionaire, with an estimated net worth of more than $13 billion as of January, changed his Twitter bio over the weekend to include the Bitcoin hashtag. Crypto Twitter users and some of Salinas's, uh, some of Salinas's more than 840,000 followers reported noticing the change Saturday around the time the price of the crypto asset surged to more than 40,000 for the first time in 23 days. Speaking to Cointelegraph in December, Salinas revealed he had first purchased Bitcoin at $200 in 2013, later selling, however, during the 2017 bull run. When the price reached the 17,000s, he described the crypto asset as his best investment ever. In November, Salinas said that 10% of his liquid portfolio is invested in BTC, with the remaining in precious metal miners. The 65-year-old billionaire bought in before the price of Bitcoin surged to new all-time highs in December and January, more than doubling his investment. He is—he has said he isn't planning on selling off any crypto holdings for at least five years. Salinas is not the only billionaire using social media. Yes, we all know everybody else did it too, but now Elon Musk is is pushing freaking the dog coin. I mean, come on. But I was, you know, honestly... If you get into, I don't know, I guess a lot of the narrative in the United States around what, you know, Mexico, honestly, is just, it's all bullshit. It's Mexico is a pretty nice country. Yes, they have their problems with drug cartels. Dude, so do we. So does Canada. I mean, I'm sure Italy has, like, not, probably not as large of a problem as we do, but they probably have a problem. However, Mexico is actually pretty nice. And, like, you know, you got to go down to Mexico City and hook up with some some Mexicans. They're really nice people, man. And you know what? they're they're just like a lot like everybody else. You know what they want to do with their lives. They want to get they want to fall in love. They want to have children or get married, have children. You could do it out of order if you want, I suppose. They want to eat good food. Some of the best restaurants I've ever eaten at in my entire life are in Mexico City. And one of them, one of them, served Italian food and in fact it was alfredo's which is like the restaurant where uh, fettuccine alfredo it wasn't invented in italy guys it was invented in mexico city so if you're if you ever go out to an italian restaurant and they serve you a good alfredo and you're like this is good italian food it ain't it's mexican food dude get get it together my thing is is that i believe that latin america from like basically from Mexico to Central America, you know, and all of South America. Some of my favorite places to watch for the movement of Bitcoin and having the third richest Mexican putting Bitcoin in his bio is at least as important as Elon Musk. But maybe if we're really lucky, the guy will not turn into a complete moron and start pumping some kind of animal coin. I don't know. But Bitcoin is also more attractive than gold and ETFs to Americans, says a survey. Jordan Lyenchev is going to tell us about it from CryptoPotato.com. Months after Russian survey p- participants placed Bitcoin above gold in terms of attractive investment assets, so have investors from the United States. Bitflyer's recent research. On the people's perception of the crypto industry, also showed that Japan based investors have a significantly more negative opinion when compared to United States citizens. Founded in 2014, Bitflyer is among the largest Japanese based cryptocurrency exchanges. The privately owned company reached out to over 3,000 people based in the US and Japan to review their sentiment towards the digital asset industry and their investment approaches. The final results shared with Crypto Potato showed that US based participants had placed stocks as their most preferred investment assets, which is 54%, but at the same time, They typically regarded as safer options of 401k and certificate of deposits came second with 35%. God, who would want a CD at these interest rates? Real estate has taken the third spot with 31%. Interestingly, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies came just behind real estate with 30%. This is a higher spot than mutual funds such as ETFs and index funds at 29% and bonds at 22%. It's worth noting that digital assets have attracted almost twice as many votes as commodities like gold and silver, poor Peter. As reported in October of 2020, a similar conclusion came from the world's largest country by landmass. Russian study participants placed cryptocurrencies as their fifth most preferred investment tool, while gold came in at sixth place, poor Peter. The survey also noted that the majority of U.S. and Japan uh, participants had heard of cryptocurrencies. However, there was a significant difference between their sentiment and adoption rates. For instance, 15% of U.S.-based participants answered that they are currently using various digital assets for purchasing, selling, or simply owning portions. The percentage in Japan was just 4%. Furthermore... Over three quarters of people who have heard of cryptocurrencies in the United States have a positive sentiment, while nearly 80% of Japanese have a negative perception. Quote Similarly, with investing, the sentiments towards cryptocurrencies is a lot stronger in the U.S. than it is in Japan. 76% of respondents in the United States who have heard of cryptocurrencies have a positive perception, while in Japan, it is the complete opposite. I'm actually rather surprised about that. But then again, I don't know enough about Japanese, you know, sensibilities, their society, the way that they're structured to wad a shotgun. All right. So cause a lot of that, you know, a lot of that comes into play when you're talking about investings. What's tradition? That's one thing that I do know about Japanese people is that they honor their traditions. Or maybe not as much now as they used to, but I'll bet you a lot more than almost every country on earth. So a lot of that, their cultural upbringing has a lot to do with you know how they're viewing money and investments and whatnot like that. Corporate treasuries are figuring out Bitcoin on the balance sheet. Uh, this is out of coindesk.com. It's Ian Allison writing it. Uh, we'll start here. Digital assets in one form or another are making their way into big business. The headline grabbing version of this is straight up BTC on the balance sheet. A renegade change being le- charge being led by MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor, who is known for warning corporates that capital and fiat is being debased. Saylor's MicroStrategy event this week included a playbook according, or going into the nuts and bolts of things like qualified custodians, hot and cold wallets, and so on. Square uh, provided a similar guide in October. It is worth stepping back and remembering what unlikely bedfellows mainstream corporate treasury management and Bitcoin really are and how unthinkable this would have been just a couple of years ago. That said, MicroStrategy is not alone when it comes to fielding these sorts of discussions. At the end of last month, an event hosted by the Association of Corporate Treasurers featured London-based crypto custodian Cooper in discussions with IKEA's treasury group. It's a conversation corporate... It's a Wait, hold on. Yeah. Conversation corporate treasurers should be having, said Narish Agwal, I can't pronounce his name, associate director at the ACT, even if the reality of getting into this new asset class remains some way off for many. Quote, through experience and from our qualifications, most treasurers are familiar with applying security, liquidity and yield when it comes to investing in that order Argwal told coindesk in an interview quote ultimately if a board decides it wants to ride the coattails of a market that is potentially continuing to go up that's a choice that should be based on the risk appetite of the company informed of course by their treasurer Argwal agreed the discussion around whether crypto is a hedge against inflation is an interesting one but pointed out that countries like the uk are not running into an inflationary environment. Yeah, not yet. Quote, most G20 countries are not experiencing high levels of inflation. And in the UK, I think inflation recently ticked up to 0.8%. I can't see us returning to the days of inflation rates of 8 or 9% anytime soon. If you're in Venezuela, for example, then that's a very different situation, he said. While corporate treasurers wait to see what happens to sailors' capital reserves, many players understand the inevitability of digital and crypto-enhanced forms of payment and tokenized asset plays. Last year's regulatory recommendations from the Office of the the Comptroller of the Currency only served to confirm this, making its first immaculately-timed outing this week, Ledgermatic, a startup Helmed by former PWC, IBM, and BTC.com executives is offering a range of tools to future-proof corporate treasury management in light of the coming digital asset economy. Ledgermatic CEO Luke Sully says that the likes of Michael Saylor and Jack Dorsey must be recognized as the first corporate evangelist for this use case. Quote, this will be an interesting test case for the BTC on the balance sheet, Sully said in an interview. Quote, it would appear that theirs are a long-term approach and not for short-term gains. I expect CFOs and treasury teams will be watching and scratching their heads, thinking of the other questions this raises and exactly how to manage this particular asset and get the benefit while reducing exposure to its price volatility. Corporates have to account for crypto differently than investment funds do, Sully pointed out, adding that most CFOs and finance teams just don't have the tools available for them to manage and integrate digital asset workflows. Quote, there are some procedures we have gamed out for everyone thinking of adding crypto into their balance sheet, he said. It's also worth remembering that Square is a payments company that is naturally involved in fintech, while software is native to microstrategy. Even some insurance companies that are said to be looking at crypto may well have been through a process of tire kicking with custody providers that are looking for cover. Speaking at the Cooper ATC or ACT webinar, Michael and DeKal, IKEA's group head of digital treasury, said that early birds moving toward digital assets are often already close to this area in terms of their core business. Quote, you can imagine as you get further away from your core business, you would ask more questions like, should we really be doing this? Andahal said, well, I think the point here is some companies are starting to do this because they see it as an enabler for their core business. Yeah, that's a big thing. Microstrategy was—it was easy for Michael Saylor. That's why he—that's why he grokked it in six months. It didn't take him long at all. Where it takes the rest of his taco plebs years to figure shit out. And the reason is because he was—he was used to software. He understood it at a, at a code level, and all his people that work for him understand it as at a code level. Maybe not, you know, the administrative assistants or like salespeople, but the. The core people in his business, dude, they they got it and they got it fast. And I think what this guy is saying is it makes sense. If like if you're a furniture maker, how far away is your is your core competency from something like reading the code base of Bitcoin, understanding the financials behind it, and all that? That's a long way away. I mean, if you get into the oil and gas industry. Okay, they're getting a little closer, but they're still, I mean, honestly, they're kind of just as far out. I mean, they use a little bit more, you know, there's a lot more engineering that's involved than, you know, furniture making. There's process engineering, there's chemical engineering, there's mechanical engineering. I mean, there's all kinds of of people that are a little bit closer to understanding the math behind what's going on here, yet the core competency is still pretty far away. So the closer that your company's core competency is to the core competency that it would take to build something like Bitcoin, the quicker you're going to get it, which basically means tech companies. Just saying. Again, with the tech company. Children's Charity creates a Bitcoin superhero to attract crypto donations. The Billy Bitcoin Hero is part of the charity's efforts to drum up more crypto donations. Uh, Sebastian Sinclair, tell us about it. This is from Coindesk. A U.S.-based children's charity has created a Bitcoin superhero to help boost its fundraising profile. The Songs of Love Foundation, which became one of the first national children's charities to accept cryptocurrency donations way back in 2013, people, is a nonprofit that creates personalized songs to uplift children facing tough medical conditions or emotional challenges. Launch Friday, the Billy Bitcoin Superhero is part of the charity's efforts to increase donations through cryptocurrency, which, is said, which it said is even more efficient than donating cash on its website. Uh, crypto donations to charities are considered non-taxable events in most jurisdictions around the world. In the United States, a person does not owe capital gains tax on the appreciated amount while also being able to deduct their donation on their final tax bill. Quote, this win-win solution means that you have more money available to donate to charity and can deduct more on your tax return, the charity's website read. Quote, the difference can amount to more than 30%. Songs of Love accepts donations in 22 cryptocurrencies. I won't name any of them. All you really need to know is Bitcoin. On February the 16th, the foundation will celebrate its 25th birthday. During that time, the charity has created Songs of Love for over 36,000 children worldwide. Okay, they accept 21 shit coins. I'm not pissed at them. Uh, they're they're trying to do what they can for kids that are in the worst situations that you would ever want to see a child in. If for whatever reason you feel like you need to make uh, make some donations to something that's a worthy cause, Songs of Love is probably at least a decent bet. Just saying. Okay, now from, from the uh, lovely to the ridiculous, India may sidestep parliament to push through crypto bill. Now, okay, sidestep parliament. Oh, well, then why do you even have it? You know, Biden's just, you know, Biden and, and all the rest of the presidents since, you know, God, Kennedy, have sidestepped Congress with their executive orders and whatnot. I mean, why do we even have Congress or parliaments or anything? Why don't you just have a fucking king? India may sidestep Parliament to push through its crypto bill. Okay, great. Tanzil Akhtar is going to tell us about it from Coindesk. The Indian government is reportedly planning to fast-track its proposed cryptocurrency bill using the ordinance process. Similar to an executive order in the United States, an ordinance law is put into effect by India's president on the recommendation of the cabinet and would be equivalent to an act of parliament, according to Wikipedia. The route is only supposed to be taken when parliament is not in session. The government is keen to pass the cryptocurrency and regulation of official digital currency bill 2021 within a month of clearance of the ordinance, according to CNBC-TV18 report. On Friday, the Indian Prime Minister's Office and Finance Ministry and Cabinet Secretariat have started preparing the draft details of the ordinance, it said. The arrival of the bill would potentially kick off the development of a digital rupee while banning private cryptocurrencies, per previous reports. What the bill would mean for cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ether isn't clear, but the cryptocurrency industry has expressed concerns it could represent an outright ban. That would pose a major threat to the nation's crypto industry, which has seen quick growth. Uh, since a central bank ban on banking for cryptocurrency firms was overturned in March of last year, local cryptocurrency exchanges recently started a joint initiative, the hashtag India campaign to convince parliament to regulate cryptocurrencies rather than impose an outright ban. So there you go. India acting stupid. Uh, if you want to get in on, you know, after you get, you know, start, stop writing tweets in all caps and using the hashtag SatSqueeze. If you want to do another hashtag, then I I recommend this one. What Where was it? Oh, India wants Bitcoin. All one word hashtag. There you go. Uh, let's see here. Hardware wallet for digital wand debuts. You're only eight years behind the times, China. Helen Parts from Cointelegraph says this, and this was written this morning. A Chinese banking institution has completed the development of a hardware wallet for the country's central bank digital currency, the digital yuan. According to a February 7th announcement by Zhang Yang authorities, the Zhang branch of the Agricultural Bank of China in Hebei or Hebei uh, has produced the first hardware wallet designed for the digital yuan. The product was developed by the Party Working Committee of the Zheongyang, new area in the People's Bank of China branch in Shu. Sorry, there's no way I can pronounce these words, and I'm just not going to learn. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. New areas in China are urban districts that are provided special economic support by the central government. They are divided into state, provincial, and prefecture levels. Zhongang is a state-level new area. According to the announcement, the new hardware wallet supports dual offline payments without an internet connection. The digital yuan wallet also features payments without the use of mobile phones. The new hardware wallet for the digital yuan comes in conjunction with the upcoming New Year's holiday in China, providing an extra opportunity for local residents. The new hardware wallet reportedly allows users to send gifts to their family members and friends to express their New Year's wishes. The wallet marks another milestone in the adoption of the digital yuan. In China, as previously reported, Zhongrang was one of the first four regions to pilot China's CBDC in April of 2020. The wallets launched in Zhongrang new area comes in accordance with China's plan to accelerate the construction of a new smart city in Zhongrang new district in 2021. In late 2020, local tech giant Huawei or Huawei, whatever, announced that its upcoming Mate 40 smartphone series will feature an integrated hardware wallet for the digital wand. So yeah, you're only eight years behind. You know, no, no worries, dude. Superpower, eight years behind on something as simple as a freaking digital, you know, hardware wallet. Eh. Oh, whatever. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. Did you know that there are no canaries in the Canary Islands? The same thing applies to the Virgin Islands. There are no canaries there either. Eh. Have a good Monday. Have a great week. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.